Let me get turned on here. Good morning, everyone. I tell you what, I'm not sure whether we're actually a crowd or not. <laughs> it's been so long way. I, I have, uh, let me just catch up date a little, a little bit. When I, I retired from the active pastor in 2013, May the 5th. On May the 6th, I got a phone call. I was out in the yard deciding I was going to do something. And my phone rang, and it was a, the Grace Baptist Church in Delaware, Ohio. And they had, their pastor had left, and they asked me if I'd be interim. So I went there with the intention of being there two months. I was there nine months. And they finally called a young man that did a phenomenal job. And he recently left and took a church in Tennessee, and they called me the next day and asked me if I'd come back. I held one service and closed the church down and because all this virus business, and so we've been online up there, and it's taped, and so that enabled me to be here today because I'm online. So uh, here we are and with you, and so we're not going to have our live service till next Sunday after all about three months. So it's so good to be back and look at people in the face instead of preach to empty seats and a sound man. And that's, that's it. And he never did get right with the Lord. He's, but anyway, it's so good to be with you. I thank the Lord for the privilege and opportunity. And I'm so thankful that my sweetheart gets to be with me. And we kind of are attached to one another after 53 years, almost 54 years. And um, it's always good to have her with me, and thank God. I'm glad she's with me, so it's proof that I'm here. <laughs> but take your Bible this morning and turn to the book of Joshua. I want to talk to you today about revival. The pastor called me and asked me, and that's the reason I was able to come on a quick notice, because of technology, really, I suppose. They use the word revival. Now that is not a new word to probably anyone in this building this morning. We talk about having a revival. And I've been in the ministry, been preaching well over 50 years. And I've seen God do good things and great things and mighty things, not just in America, but around the world, different places I've been. I've seen God's movement in amazing things. But sometimes I think largeness has twisted our understanding of the reality of a truth. When we think of revival, we think, or I believe we think, about the size that God just all of a sudden pours out his fire on a group of people. And I'm not saying God hasn't done that, and that God doesn't, or God wouldn't. But my concept of Scripture does not bear that out. I believe that if you look at revival, it's individualized that becomes effective to a body. It is something that God does in me, and He does it in me. And you're going to hear this phrase again. I've been thinking about revival long before the pastor asked me to come. But I've been thinking a lot about it, reading some on it. 
And uh, this thought came to me, and I want to give it to you, and you'll probably hear it again within the, in the presentation of what I have to give you this morning. But revival is when God invades our life without resistance. Now let me say that again. Revival is when God invades our life without resistance. Now, here's what I mean by that, is when God begins, and we know when God begins to deal with us, do we not? It's called conviction. And the working of the Holy Spirit, His Spirit bearing witness with our spirit. So we know when God is starting to put His fingers in our life and on our life and disturbing and bringing conviction into our lives. We, we know that. He doesn't sneak up behind us and all of a sudden pounce on us. God is a good daddy and, and he is a man about what he does and he faces us with issues in our life. And most generally, when God begins to deal with our lives, we are under resistance to the change that he wants to make in our lives. And as a result of that, we live as we've always lived, limited, but never really revived. Now, I want us to look at Joshua chapter 24. This is not a new chapter, and I'm just going to be giving you a lot of thoughts in our time this morning, but the thought is revival. Now, you have a young man coming in here tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. It happens to be dear friends. His mother and father are two of the best friends my wife and I have, Roger, Paulie, and his wife. But we have Scott Pauly, and you're in for a real, real treat if you've never heard Scott. He's a premier preacher. God's hands is on him, and we'll be praying for the meeting. But I want us to look at verses 14 through 31. Now, I know that it is a lengthy portion of Scripture. But once we get into this scripture, you will understand why I'm wanting to read it. Start with me with verse 14, would you please? Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him. This is Joshua speaking in sincerity and truth and put away the gods of your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. Now we're going to come back and deal with that in just a moment. But I want you to notice, we're going to read verse 18, but notice the response of Joshua in verse 19. In verse 18 he says, And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land, therefore will we also serve the Lord, for He is our God. Now look what Joshua said. It's strange. 
Look what Joshua says. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord. They just said they were going to. And yet Joshua said, But you can't. You can't serve the Lord. And we're going to get into this in just a moment. For he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. Now let's stop. and We're going to get in there in just a moment. But here is what he is saying. Mouth statement but not heart devotion. And as a result of that, you can't serve God because you're trying to be one thing visually when your heart is far from God. That's what he's dealing with. Now look with me in verse 21. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves, that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath, for ye, for it hath heard uh, all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, everyone, unto his inheritance. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance, in Timnath-Serah, which is in Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaesh. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Let's have a brief prayer. Father, we have read your book. We believe it. Now, Father, as we give our heart and our devotion to you, Lord, speak to us, we pray. Do your work in our hearts as individual. Oh, Lord, we hear about great movements of God yesteryear. But dear God, you haven't changed. You're not the one. We are the ones. Father, bow before you. And if we desire anything, we desire a true revival coming from God to and through us. That, Father, in these days, we may say, God, do what only God can do once again. Enable me, I pray. Keep me in clarity of thought, mind, and speech. And Lord, we will thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Revival at Shechem. We're in Shechem. If you ever do a study of Shechem in the Word of God, you're going to find it was a decadent place. 
It was not a good place. It was not where Christians ought to find themselves dwelling. You say, but how can I get out of this? Well, Jesus said it in the Gospels when he said we are to be in the world but not of it. The only way I'm going to get out of this world is for the trumpet sound, the shout to be made, or God start my, stop my heart and allow me to go through death's door. I don't know which one he's going to choose, but I do know this, it's going to take place, but while I'm in the world, I am not to be of the world. And so we are in a day and in a time of Shechem. Now I want to introduce you to this chapter up to a quick point. Joshua is an old man. He's ready to die. He's 110 years of age. And for his final hurrah, he calls a congress together of the children of Israel, and he meets with them. And the verses 1 through 13 is a recital of what God had done for Israel from Egypt through the wilderness and finally in the land of promise and all that God had honored Israel with. And that is another message, another story in itself. So here they are, they're in that land. And God told Israel to clear the land of its inhabitants and bring it down out of the way of their normal manner of living to make it a Christian nation or a godly nation, at least in that time of history. And Israel, they'd been fighting, they'd been fussing, they'd been fuming for years and years, hundreds of years. And they were weary, they were tired, they had come through terrible circumstances, and now they're here. And they're having to live, or they have chosen to live, among the people of Shechem. And they did not obey what God said. And as a result, it, it would be something like saying, peace without victory. They arrived to their place, but they did not follow the direction of God in clearing the land and dedicating it to God. It's called coexistence. You ever see one of those bumper stickers with all kinds of figures on it? We are to coexist. No, we're not. We're to come out from among them and be separate. God's Word says that. And soon Israel became involved in the land's idolatry. And that's what happens. Remember when Lot, he did not go to Sodom at first. He camped in the wilderness, but he pitched his tent towards Sodom. He heard the music, he saw the aftermath, and it tentilated the flesh, and it drew him to it. And the next thing you know, he folded up tent, moved into a house, into the heart of the city. Don't you ever believe that you or that I am the exception to the rule? We are not. It'll get you, it'll grab a hold of you, and then many, many years of sitting behind a counseling this, how often I'd hear, hear someone come into my office and say, I don't know how I got here. Don't deceive yourself. You know exactly the first decision you made that was not proper for you to make, and it moved you in that direction, and that's why you find yourself where you are at. So now we start with verses 14 and 15. Look what it says. Now therefore... Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth 
and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. So look in verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, you and I, we are built this way. This is how God has birthed us. And that is, we will serve something. Something has our attention. Something has our devotion. Something has our dedication in our life, and it is to that we live. Now, it can be a spouse that you live for. It can be a child you live for. It can be a hobby. It can be a habit whatever it is, but when that is the premier thing that controls your life, that has become the God of your life. And it is not always the God of heaven. Now, keep this in mind. They compromised. They coexisted. And they became part of the system. Now, somewhere etch this little thought in your brain. There is no substitute for victory. There is no substitute for victory. How often I hear people some say something like this, Preacher, if I could just win over, and then they'll name some kind of a problem in their life or habit in their life. If I could just get that out of my life. Well, anything that is in our life, it's there by our permission. And... Soon after our permission, it controls us. It becomes the dictator of our will. And where you are today, spiritually, and I can't determine that. I can only determine that for me. Where you are spiritually, you are there by choices you have made and that I have made. Do we need revival? Look around. And I'm not talking about in this space. I'm talking, read the paper and listen to the news if you can stomach it. And look up and down your street. The world that we live in, the society that we live in, the neighborhood that we live in, this world needs God active and controlling of our lives. Any genuine revival must begin with the renouncing of strange gods, and that's what Joshua was establishing. Isn't that interesting that what he would choose as his last message in his life before he died was not give me anything. It was one more time a clarification to put away strange gods. I know that sometimes we think to ourselves, we say, but I don't have any gods in my life. Really? What's got your devotion? What has your time? What's giving you direction? What has control of your will? 
Those are idols. Those are things that are in charge of our life. Real revival begins when Christians pray. We Christians have become idol worships. Worshippers, let's look at just a few of them, would you please? First of all, let's go back into the New Testament. Stay kind of in a corner a little bit, and let's look at four things that we observe. They are idols in our life, whether we want to admit them or not. Let's turn to First Timothy, would you please? First Timothy, chapter six, and verse ten. This is a good one. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now we need money. God has allowed the franchise of money in our life. We need money. And when I have a lack of money, it makes things very difficult. So I appreciate money, but I don't love money. See, what I love has influence in my life. There's a little white-haired grandma sitting right back there. And she's been part of my life for almost 54 years. And uh, because I love her, she has influence on me. Unbelievable influence on me. But I'd like to think I do in her as well or on her as well. She loves me. She says she does. And she sure treats me like she does. So we do have a world and a Christian world where we have the love of money. That has become an idol in many of our lives. Then turn with me to Philippians. Hold your hand in Timothy. We're coming back. But hold, put, go over to Philippians, would you please, to the book of Philippians, just a few pages back. And look with me in the book of Philippians. And I, I do have Philippians in this Bible. I, I read it once. Philippians chapter 3. Would you please, Philippians chapter 3. And let's look at verses 17 through 21. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation or conduct is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So we have the issue of the control of money in our life. And then here's this phrase I'm going to use for verses 17 through 21. The lower nature of ourself. The lower nature of ourselves. And, and it's pretty well explained in this concerning them that uh, cause division and don't follow the proper example and cause heartache and sorrow and problems within the family, the household of faith. They are enemies of the cross, and their God is their belly, whose glory is their shame. So we, I'm talking about really where God is uh, almost ourselves, and we're going to look at that here in just a moment. Look back at 2 Timothy, would you please? In 2 Timothy, 
I'm just going to give you two more. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. So here we have the lovers and the, and the God of pleasure in our life. I was thinking of this, and, and in, in my life in the past, I, I've really enjoyed golf. That's about the only thing I could ever halfway conquer, and I enjoyed golf. And um, then I got an equilibrium problem. That pretty well destroyed that for me. But it's amazing on the Lord's Day how many people you see out doing things totally not conscious of the Lord's Day and that God exists and that Jesus is a necessity and that we need to be learning about the Lord. They're just going about living and they are pleasure seekers. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, just up, it says this in verse 2, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And I tell you what, that's where we're at. Men love themselves more than they love anything else, and that's one of the problems we're having in our marriages and our home relationships because we can't find ourselves to love one another. 1 John 5, 21, it says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. There's a song in our hymn book, and I suppose it's in this one. It's in most of them. But just let me quote a verse or a part of it. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol. Cast out every foe. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said those words? Have you ever sang it? Sure you have. I have too. We sing a lot of lies, do we not? We sing a lot of songs that... They sound good, but we don't make application to our heart and what they're trying to say. Does that verse say anything to you? It does me. When I was thinking about this service this morning and, and my thoughts as I just pinned them kind of down and really not even in outline form, and forgive me for that, but that's not how the Lord led me. But I want you to notice, Charles Finney says that revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. It's a new beginning of obedience to God. Search me, O oh God. Try me. See what's in my heart, what my character is. Do your work in my life. I've used this story, and I may have used it here. Who knows? My father was much my size, and, uh, but he was all man. I'm not saying I'm not all man, but I've tried to be as much as I can be but my father was, and I'll tell you how much of a man he was. When he was a young man, and I'm saying in his 20s, late 20s, well before I was born, I'm the youngest of eight children, my father had bad teeth, and he pulled his own upper teeth. Try it. See how far you get but he pulled all of his upper teeth. That is a man. That is a man. And uh, he ordered his false teeth, his upper teeth, out of the Old Farm Journal catalog. Some of you, I don't know if anyone remembers that print or not, it's been out of print for umpteen hundred years, but my, my father got that, and in the back there was advertisements, and one of them was to take your own impression 
and they'd send you your teeth, and that's what he did. And he had those teeth for years and years and years and years. And finally, when I graduated from high school, I was coming home from work one night. We still lived on the old farm. And I walked in the back door, and my father now retired. The bathroom of the house was off of the kitchen, and my father was sitting sideways on the commode with a pair of pliers in his hand and a bottle of alcohol, rubbing alcohol. And he heard me come in, and he says, Roger, come here. So I walked over to him, and I said, what do you need, Dad? He said, I have a dentist appointment. He only had nine teeth left in the bottom. And he said, I'm going to have my lower teeth pulled. He said, but there's one really loose here. And said, I want you to pull it. I said, no, I don't think so. And he handed me the pliers, and only God knows where those pliers had been on that farm. He handed me the pliers, he handed me the rubbing alcohol. He said, you pour the rubbing alcohol in there, and you pull this tooth. He said, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. And I said, Dad, you pulled all of your upper teeth, and you only have one? Why can't you pull that one tooth? He said, because when I start pulling up on it, it stings. And he said, I'm not the man I once was. And I just prayed that I got the right tooth. And I pulled that tooth for my dad. But here was his statement. I asked him, I said, why aren't you letting the dentist pull that? He said, now this will date it. He said, I'm not paying that dentist $7 to pull that tooth. That's what the dentist charged in those days, $7 a tooth. I pulled it. Now, the point I'm telling that story is this. We are not good inspectors of our self-character. It takes someone that cannot feel our pain to do the work correctly. Because when we feel the pain, we stop. That's the reason there's so many little things, still little foxes that are spoiling the vine in our life that's robbing us from the joy of God and serving Him because there's things in our life that we need to say, God, you search me. You do your work. You pull the tooth. You may feel for me, but you don't feel what I feel. Search me, O oh God. Do your work. Revival is when God invades our life without resistance, as we have said. Now go back to our text in Joshua. Look what it says in verses 16 and 18. 16 says, And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve our gods, because up in verse 15 he says, you know, do away with all these things, serve the Lord in sincerity, in verse 14, and in truth, and put away the gods and serve God alone. And down in verse 16, they said, that's what we're going to do. God forbid that we would not serve him. But down in verse 18, it says, and the Lord drove out uh, before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwell in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. But then we run into verse 19. You can't not serve the Lord. 
is that you making a statement or is that a hard decision? One is the difference from the other. One is victory and one is defeat. Now, look with me in a couple portions of Scripture as we follow that thought. Turn with me to Psalm. Would you please? Psalm 78. Psalm 78. In Psalm 78, verses 36 and 37. Look what he says. Psalm 30, 78, verses 36 and 37. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For, their, for neither were the stead, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. That's what Joshua is saying. You can't serve God because you say one thing with your mouth but your heart is full of the content that is something other than what you're saying. It is a heart matter. It is a heart matter. Does this church want to see revival and everyone can resound with a loud amen? And I amen with you. But my dear friend, it is not a church action. It's an individual action. It's a personal decision. It is a heart issue. Now, why is that? Well, partly of this, and I'm going to pick on this front row a little bit over here. What's in this man's heart is not necessarily what's in this young man's heart, but they both have issues. How do I know that? I don't know either one of them, but I know people. You're looking at a man that has issues because I'm a person. I'm a human being. I'm not better than you. I am as you. But God has got to do a specific work in my heart as he has to do a specific work in your heart. Then turn over very quickly in Matthew. Uh, don't even turn there. I'll just tell you so we can move on. Matthew 21, we have the story of the father with two sons and they came to his two sons. He said, go into the vineyard and work. Remember that story? And one said, I will not go. But then later on he repented and he went. Second son said, I will go and never did go. Which was the obedient son? We both know the story of all of that. And that is, my dear friend, there is a heart change that's got to be taken place. We are not to be casual. And uh, you find basically the same thing in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now, we not only are we to come to Jesus, but we must come after Jesus. Does that make sense? That's what he says in Luke 14. Follow after me. Come to me and then follow after me. Now, there's not a lot of trouble of coming to him. But it's the fellowship brings issues into our life. I've been thinking about this pandemic and churches closed for three months. I wonder what the real return is going to look like. I think a lot of churches are going to start out with the real thing and have to start chasing the fringe. I'm sorry to say that. Why? Because too many people serve with their mouth, but their heart doesn't follow after him. Hard preaching, but true statements, we will not have revival 
until we really see God in His holiness. And that's what Isaiah said. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and His train did fill the temple. And as a result of that, it changed Isaiah's life. It changed him completely to the point he died with it. See the holiness of God. We live in Shechem. You know what the word Shechem means? The place of broken vows. The place of broken vows. Now here's my concluding thought. This is not the first recording concerning God's people at Shechem. Not the first. The first one we find is Jacob and his daughter Dinah. They get in, they leave Bethel. They go to Shechem. She gets in trouble, remember? And what does her brothers do? They rise up and they took vengeance on the Shechemites. And the Bible puts it this way, Jacob was in sore distress. And you know what God told him? You get back to Bethel. You don't belong in Shechem. There's broken vows in Shechem. You need to go to Bethel because Bethel is the house of God, the place of blessing. Oh, that we would hunger for that. This message, for whatever it is, would ring something in our hearts to make a difference. What did he say? Well, let's look up here in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. That's one. Serve the Lord in sincerity. That's two. And serve Him in truth. And put away the strange gods. What has priority in your life? What is keeping you from the fulfillment of a vow? Only you can answer that. Put away every idol, the strange gods of our lives. Put them away. Now, wait a minute. Does God do that? No, God does not do that. That's our responsibility. I'm to put them away. I know what they are, and I know how they've been pets in my life and what they have caused in my life, and I'm to put them away. Now, let's close with this. Remember the story of the prodigal son? A wonderful story. He left home. He spent everything on immorality. He came to himself, and he went back to the Father's house. And we have the joy of that reality. We can leave, and we do. But oh, we have an open invitation. We can come back. But in order for that young man to have fellowship with his father, he had to put on a new robe. What am I saying? He had to get rid of the odor of the pig pen. He had to get the flavor of the slop out of his mouth. He had to present himself 
in the truth of another person's righteousness. That's Jesus. That's when he is in control of our life, and that's when he can give us revival. Just to think if he will revive, and I'm not saying you're not, son, at all, but if you, I mean, if the passion of God burned in your soul, that in our lives, the sin, the idol, was so distasteful, we just wanted Bethel. And you know what Jacob did? Jacob changed the name. <coughs> he changed the name from Bethel to El Bethel. Is it that significant? Oh, yes. Bethel was the house of God. <coughs> but El Bethel was God is the God of the house of God. That's what he's saying. God is there. God is an authority. And dear God, make me a Bethel. Make me an El Bethel. <coughs> Dale Moody went to listen to a great preacher when he was a young Christian. And the older preacher preaching said, It is yet to be seen what God can do through one man totally dedicated to God. D.L. Moody sat listening, and in his heart he said, God, I will be that man. I will be that man. Empty me of me and fill me with you. Dale Moody ate that every day. Don't have to say much more, just study the life of Dale Moody. And the reality of God and the power of God and the feeling of the Holy Spirit became so mighty on Dale Moody, he was walking down the streets of New York City one day. I read it. He wrote it. He penned this phrase. The power of God was so obvious and so pressive upon my heart, I thought I would die. He said, I stepped inside a doorway of a dwelling, and I looked up into heaven and said, God, relieve me just for a moment, lest I die. I've never been there. I've never had that. But oh, can you imagine? Dear people here, you say, but preacher, we're not many. There's more than three. God says if there's two to three, I'll be in the midst. May I ask you, is the one that will go past the lip to the heart say that's what I want and then watch God move Father we love you 
Lord, I haven't been bombastic, but you gave me this. I've never preached this. Father, I'm here, not only by invitation of a, my preacher friend, but I believe you probably have given him without question direction to get me here. And Father, it's not about smooth sermons. It's not about loud preaching. It's about truth. Father, you want to do your work. Do it in me. Do it in the people in these pews. How open will we be? How anxious would we be to fall on our faces before God and just let you do your work? Invade our lives. Dear God, may there be no resistance. His bow and eyes closed. Would you stand where you're at? Just very quietly, just stand with me. I'm going to give a brief invitation, then I'll give it to the pastor. You're here today. Pastor set these days aside for revival meeting. I wonder if there's anyone as hungry for God that you'd be willing to leave your seat and just come and spend time at the altar today. Just leave your seat. I'm going to ask Sister Van Animen if she would play softly. If she plays, God bless your heart. Would you be that one? Not just mouth. It's my heart. It is my heart. And I'm not going to get up with the amen of my prayer and forget my vow. I have to be in the world, but I am not to be of it. Spend time with Jesus, not a hit and miss prayer. Listen, take time with the Lord Jesus. Let Him deal with issues in your life. Take this message and live it through the day and tomorrow. God can do His work. Anyone else? God bless those that have come. Preacher, would you come? How many of us would say, you know what, maybe I'm in Shechem right now. I've been in Shechem for a while. I've, I've made promises to the Lord and, you know, I've never kept them. I need to get back to Bethel. How many of you would leave Shechem this morning and get back to Bethel? Get back to the house of God. Make God the God of the house of God. You realize that you're the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? How many of you will allow the Lord to be the God of your life again? Put the Lord first serve him in sincerity and truth.
How many of us here, maybe with our heads still bowed and our eyes still closed, how many of us are here this morning know for certain that heaven is our home? If we were to die today, we know that we'd, that we'd spend eternity with the Lord. As a testimony this morning, would you slip your hand up if you know Christ as your Savior? Amen. Praise the Lord. It's wonderful for me to put your hands down. Maybe you're here today and you couldn't, with, uh, with great certainty, raise your hand. Maybe you have some doubts. If you're not sure heaven is your home, if you couldn't raise your hand this morning, would you have enough courage just to, to look up at me? I promise nobody's going to call you by name. Nobody will make you feel uncomfortable. Nobody will come to you. I would just like to pray for you. Is there anybody like that this morning that I, that I may pray for? Friends, understand that God loves you. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sin, was buried and rose again from the grave. The Bible tells us that He's alive forevermore. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you don't know Him as your Savior, it's really repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin and look to Christ by faith. Ask Him to forgive your sin and be your Savior. It's not about church membership or put, doing good works. It's only by faith in Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the message that was brought from your word this morning. And Father, it's our prayer today that, that we would forsake our idols, forsake the, our, the strange gods, that we would leave Shechem and get back to the Lord. Lord, sometimes we allow the circumstances of life to, to lead us astray good intentions that never come to fruition. But Lord, may we not just offer you lip service. Lord, may we give you our hearts. Lord, we ask today that you would continue your leadership in our lives. May denounce the, the sinful things of our hearts. and Lord, do real business with you. Father, we ask that you would continue your work in our lives here this afternoon. In a minute, we're going to be dismissed. We're going to go home. And Lord, we could forget all the things that you have taught us. Lord, may that not be the case. Lord, may you continue your work through the afternoon, right on through the evening service. Lord, we pray for your blessing and your help. Lord, thank you for what you've done in this place today. We pray that you would continue your work now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's sing that chorus, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Amen. Just a couple of announcements as we continue uh, to, uh, toward the conclusion here. Uh, just a reminder, tonight, 5 o'clock, and there's no better place to be on Sunday evening than in front of the television. 
No, that's not it, right? There's no better place to be uh, than out mowing your yard. Oh, wait, I can think of several things. But, uh, you know, we need to be in church, right? Be back tonight, 5 o'clock. You need to be here because I need to be here, right? We all need to be in church hearing what the Word of God has to say. And so be back tonight, 5 o'clock. I know you were encouraged this morning. I was encouraged. I was helped. But please do your best to be back at 5 o'clock tonight. And, you know, I will even permit you to take out your cell phone right now and text someone and invite them to be here with you tonight, right? You can do that right now. And you're like, I don't know if I should. I don't know if I – it's okay, you know. But be back tonight, 5 o'clock. Bring someone with you. Be praying for the meeting. Be praying for Dr. Green. Continue to pray for Brother Pauly as he comes in tomorrow night. Tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. And uh, another, you know, you, another phenomenal time. No, no questions asked. You will, you will be encouraged. You will be helped. And so, again, if you'd like to help with, with the interns, uh, providing meals for the interns, please let me or my wife know. And also, if you'd like to assist with the, the weekly stipend, uh, if you'll just put a $20 bill in an offering envelope and drop it in the, uh, in the offering box, make sure you put on their intern stipend. That way they can get what they need during the week. As they, they've worked hard this week, and they've been a real encouragement to us. I mean, if you don't know them, as guys, the new guys in the front row, you can raise your hand. Yeah, they took your temperature this morning as you came in. And, uh, yeah, these are our interns, but they've been a big help already this week. And so be praying for them. And... Uh, and also, there's one more thing I know I'm forgetting. Help if I took out my, yes, yes, how could we forget? Uh, soul winning, uh, weekly soul winning evangelism, good weather. We had a great day yesterday. Uh, we knocked on three neighborhoods, had an overwhelmingly positive response. I couldn't believe it. And you know what? Most of the people were home. Talked to a lot of people, prayed with several folks. Go figure, right? Uh, lots of people are home right now. No better time to, to reach them with the gospel than now. But uh, So be, be praying with us Saturday morning, 10 o'clock, right here at the church. We'll go out and knock some doors. Also, if you'd like to go out with these young men during the week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday afternoons, uh, they'll usually leave here about 1.30, return about 4.30. And so let us know, and uh, we'll, we'll work together on all of those things. But um, thank you so much for being here tonight or tonight, this morning, uh, I'm going to ask, uh, see, who may I ask to come preach? Brother Mike Robinson, uh, if you'll come close us in prayer this morning, and uh, Brother Mike was uh, ordained by, by, uh, by Dr. Green, praise the Lord for that, but if you'll we'll close us in prayer this morning, thank you, sir. I won't tell you how long ago that was, okay? <laughs> Let's go go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for the encouraging message. And, Lord, we do pray that you would give us uh, hearts to obey. And, Father, that we might have the blessings that are received from being truthful in service to the Lord. Lord, we pray you go with us as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.